this is my Bible. It is the Word of God, and I believe it. I will not be conformed to the image of this world. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Today, I'm taking another step toward God's plan, God's purpose, God's destiny for my life. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. If you believe that, shout amen. Well, last week, we concluded our courageous... Actually, second service, I called it contagious. How many know being courageous can be contagious? So we finished our series, Courageous, and we launched into a new series. And I really felt like it it was very important that we stay focused on the family. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it's our foundational text. says, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. I love the message. It says, Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. Make up your minds. And we ask the question, how much time do you need? How many sermons do you have to hear before we decide that we're going to apply the Word of God and put it into practice in our lives? Talk to me, somebody. I know, we got intense real quick, didn't we? Huh? Is this okay? And so, as we introduced this series last week, we've discovered that our culture, really since the 60s, We've been living in a, va- a, a vacuum, a values vacuum. All you got to do is read the newspapers. Most recently, you know, look at the tragedy that happens in a theater. And it's obvious that we don't value life as a culture. We live in a values Vacuum. Now all of a sudden as we launch into the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Now all of a sudden in light of that tragedy, wow, that's a big deal, isn't it? Now all of a sudden you would think, oh, okay, you know what? God just didn't assume we would take that for granted. And so thousands of years ago, God gave ten amazing values For family living. God's big ten. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6 and 7. He said to never forget these commands that I am giving you. Teach them to your children. So we have two instructions here. We're not to forget them. And we're to teach them to our kids. Amen. It's very important that we take God's value system. And we instill it into the hearts Of our young people. Amen. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing. And listen. I believe in higher education. I have a a couple of college degrees. Shelly has been to college. She has some college courses. A couple of years under her belt. So we, we believe in it. We're a proponent of it. But you know what? In our society as parents many times. The level of success for our kids. Is that they go to school and get good grades. 
And that's like the epitome of their success. And yet we have someone in school pursuing a PhD that ends up being the the culprit of this horrible tragedy. So somewhere down the road, our value system has to go above and beyond improving your gray matter. Not that that's bad. Not that that's a, 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 a bad thing. But there's, there's, something, there's more than that. The American dream is more than just higher education and get a good paying job. What about our values? What about our character? That's what forms the foundation of a great life. Amen? And God knew that. And so he gave us the big 10. So why did he do that? Well, remember, he didn't give them to us to hurt us. He gave them to us to help us. He didn't give them to us to restrict us. He gave them to us to release us. He didn't give us these big 10 to to punish us. He gave them to us to protect us. Amen? And so Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 is the first commandment. Now remember when God gave these commandments, he did not give them haphazardly. He did not give them in a random order. Every one of them build on each other. And so the very first one that he gave, he gave on purpose. Because it is the most important one That we build our lives and we build our families upon. And in Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 he says, You shall have no other gods before me. Now Jesus said something similar in Matthew chapter 22 verse 37. It's not up on the screen but it's a familiar passage. Jesus echoed those very same words when someone came to him and asked, Lord, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus really, he referred back to this commandment right here. He just rephrased it. It's mentioned actually in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God. In other words, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gave us three keys right there. Number one, we're to love God completely. You're to love yourself correctly. Then you can love others compassionately. But you know what? It all begins with loving God completely. Until you love him completely, you'll never be able to love yourself correctly and then love others compassionately. So we have to love him completely. Have no other gods before me. So the principle is... Put God first. And every time God gives a principle, remember he gives a promise. And the promise is in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6. In everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. So that is the promise that we can claim as we put God first. So how do we put God first in our lives? And we begin by sharing an acrostic, F-I-R-S-T. Letter F, the number one way we're going to get to the most difficult one. Amen? Amen? Shout me down. Amen, Pastor. Keep preaching it or we may not get past the F again today. 
I need to know you're getting it. Amen? All right. So the first key, the first test to putting God first in our lives is in our finances. Amen? In our finances. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord how? By praying an hour a day. Right? Honor the Lord by helping your neighbor. Right? Honor the Lord by memorizing 100 verses. Right? No, honor the Lord how? By giving him the first part of the majority of your income. Just let that just a little uncomfortableness just settle right there. See, we got to decide, church. Listen, remember, how many church services do you have to to attend? How many sermons do you have to hear before we take God at his word and do what he says? I mentioned to you before there was a quote. Statistically, they say only 5% of the American church tithes to the local church. 5%. Shelly read some statistics that actually that's stretching it. It's really half to two and a half to three percent. And so someone tweeted a couple of weeks ago, hey, if when God's people give, it opens the windows of heaven so there's, God pours out a blessing, could the sluggish economy be part or whole the church's fault? No pressure. But you know what? God makes it simple, church. He makes it easy. And listen, I know what you're thinking. I just can't afford it. Let me tell you how you afford it. You ready? Budget. That's at the top. Okay? Income. Item number one, tithe. You put it first. If you put it first and do it right off the top, you'll always be able to afford it. And then everything else down the road... Start cutting. But you know what we do? We put everything we want and need. And then God at the end, if we have room, we give God his. If not, we just cut him. Is this okay? Don't shut me down because I'm preaching the truth. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. And he will fill your barns. To overflow. So God says, give me the first part back and I'll bless all the rest. So God said, I didn't make this up. God has said that money is the number one test of your priorities. How come that is? Because we spend most of our lives trying to earn it. The majority of our lives revolves around earning the almighty buck. So God says, your checkbook reveals what's really important to you. Not what you say is important, but how you spend your money. So the way you spend your money says what's first in your life. Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. Let me ask you something. Have you learned that lesson yet? 
See, we want deeper. We want stronger. God, I want you to show me. Lord, do you want me to be a missionary? You know what? No. Okay, let's go back. This is kindergarten. This is spiritual kindergarten 101. Let's get this first. Before we ever talk about you changing the world, is God first in this area of your life? Period. Before we go any deeper, before we go any further. See, we're wanting to get our master's degree and we haven't even passed kindergarten. We want to know God more. We want, to, we want his presence to be stronger. And we still haven't got beyond this sticking point right here on a consistent, regular basis as the church. We want to see God move in other countries. Do you know in other countries they will walk five miles to go to a service? I have a Bible that I retired a couple of years ago. And when you open it to John chapter 5, the sermon that I preached, the paper is all wrinkly because I'm preaching in the rain. And people have come for five miles, walk, most of them walked. And there was a lady that, in particular that walked. And they would, what they would do is they'd sit on the chairs and if they got tired of getting wet, they would pick up their chair and turn it around and set it on their head to try to keep the water off of them. You know what we do? We have a dry building. We, come, we get a little wet coming in off the parking lot, even though we have ushers running out with an umbrella. Do you know what we do if it rains here? Oh, I'm just going to stay in. I may melt. I'm serious. It rains, we will drop 100 people in attendance if it rains. Like that. 50, easy, usually. 100 people in attendance drop if it rains. I'm not talking about it's icy out. I'm talking about it's just a little wet. And so to show God our thankfulness for sending the rain, we're going to stay home. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Is this okay? So this, girl, this lady walks five miles and we have a healing service and she's got a tumor in her stomach. The size of a large grapefruit. Almost the size of a volleyball. She came up for prayer and laid hands on her and prayed. And God dissolved that tumor. You couldn't even feel it totally gone. And those people give chickens. Those people give, they give clothes. They give whatever they can that represents their livelihood and, and, and what is income to them. And they give it without thinking and they give it sacrificially. And we wonder why God moves in places like that. And sometimes we wonder why he doesn't move in America. You know, it goes back to a message Shelley preached not long ago. You know what? We just ain't desperate enough. That's why. We ain't desperate enough. We have plan B. We have plan B. If God doesn't come through, I'll put it on a credit card. I'll get another loan. You know what? They don't have that option. If God doesn't come through, they go naked and they don't eat. And they trust God. Is this okay? So the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. How many sermons, how many church services do we have to hear before we just draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, from now on, 
I'll never be disobedient in that area of my life ever again. You know what? I made that decision when I was 15 years old. We taught that to our kids. My daughter made that decision when she was five years old. And man, we've seen the blessing of God. We've seen God's faithfulness time after time. Have we struggled? Sure. But you know what? I haven't starved yet. I haven't starved yet. God's been faithful. He's been true. Why 10%? Well, I don't know. Some say, you know, 10. We've said before, 10 is the number of redemption. Maybe it represents that number of redemption. That when we give 10%, God redeems the other 90. And makes it go further when we give the first 10 to Him. Than if we held on to the entire 100% on our own. And we've experienced that, haven't we? But, you know, it really doesn't matter why 10%. You know what? God just said that. God just said it. So we're just going to obey Him. Amen? It's just a point of obedience. Why is this so important? Because God says that if I'm not tithing, God says that it's not the preacher. God says that if I'm not tithing, then he is not really first in my life. I didn't say I'm not going to heaven. I didn't say I didn't love him. But he's not number one. He's not, church. He's not. He's not number one. If he's not first in your finances, he's really not first in your life. When do we tithe? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, you should put aside something from what you've earned and use it for the offering. So whenever you've earned, whenever God's blessed you. See, tithing is an act of worship. Now some people, and I mentioned this before, but some people will use not tithing. The excuse they use is, you know what, I don't tithe because I give of my time. I serve in the local church, so I don't, that's why I don't feel bad or guilty about tithing because I give a lot of time to my local church. You know what? That's good and that's great and you should, but your time is not your tithe. In fact, it's good you give your time because God actually requires that you give three T's. Your tithe, your time, and your talents. So that's good you're doing that, but that's only one. you got two more. Come on. Jesus gave his all. He died for us. We're going to live for him. Holding nothing back. Amen? Huh? And so we serve him with our talent. We give him our time. And we give our tithe. And so listen, that's great you give him your time. Guess what? God will multiply that back and you'll have lots of time on your hands. But it's not money. It's not your tithe. And so you can't use that as a judge. And nowhere in the Bible does God say that's okay. If you, hey, if you can't afford it, that's right. Just use your time instead. Nowhere does it say that. God says bring the first of everything you earn and bring it into the storehouse. Why? Because it, just like you're serving, is an act of worship. Is this okay? Moving right along. You ready for letter I? You're like, yeah, we were ready 10 minutes ago. Letter I, the second way you put God first is in your interests. If God is really going to be number one, you must put him first in your interests. That means in your fun times, in your play times, in your amusements, in your recreation, and in all your hobbies. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, 
whatever you do. Whatever you do. You know what? I believe you can play disc golf to the glory of God. You can play golf. You can play tennis. You're into arts. You're into crafts. You're into Friday. Josh and I went out with uh, his grandfather, my dad, and we went shooting. It was great. We had a great time. Joshua shot two 9 millimeters. He shot two 10 millimeters. He shot his 22. He shot two 45s. He shot a 410. And he shot a 12 gauge. Glory to God. It's awesome. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you know you can go on vacation to the glory of God? Did you know that? Do you know that you can eat to the glory of God? Yes, you can. We did Wednesday night, didn't we? Huh? You can play golf to the glory of God. You can go sailing to the glory of God. You can collect stamps to the glory of God. You can play tennis to the glory of God. How do you do it? You do it with an attitude of gratitude. You do it with thankfulness in your heart. Everything you do with an attitude of gratitude... Puts God first in that area. See, you can tell a person's priorities by observing what they get excited about. So what gets you excited? Because that's what's important to you. Amen? What do you talk about the most? I know people who can talk about other people for hours. Huh? Whether that's gossiping about someone or, hey, did you hear or did you read in the paper? Or they talk about their favorite celebrity. Hey, did you hear? Katie Holmes, she finally, she finally divorced Tom Cruise. You knew that was coming. I saw that coming a long time ago. Huh? And they can just go on and on and on. But you know what? They couldn't talk three minutes about the Lord. Three minutes. Ephesians 5.19 in the Living Bible says, Talk with each other much about the Lord. I love it. It was uh, not, uh, last night, I forget, uh, a couple of nights ago, we were out eating with uh, Junior and Christy, the newlyweds. And we were eating, and uh, Junior was just sharing uh, part of his message to the youth group. And his message to them was, he encouraged them. And first of all, he clarified and said, Hey, if you ever need me, let me know. Come get my cell phone number. You know, you can call me anytime. I want, I, you know, we're there for you. We care about you. But he said, you know, my ultimate job is to teach you how to connect to God yourself. Because there may, be come, there may come a day where you can't get a hold of me. That I can't make it out to your school. That I'm out of town. And I failed you if I don't teach you and help you and train you in how to open this book and how to get answers from God yourself. It's good, isn't it? It's powerful. And you know what? And then he, he began to share you know, a story of how you know, it, was, it was in a personal time with God that God began to speak to him and God called him into ministry. And so we're just talking about this at dinner. It's just casual. This is just part of our lives. We're not talking about this because we're preachers. Because this is what we do for a living. This is our life. I mean, and in the midst of that, we're talking about guns and all the guns we shot. And, and you know, and then this comes out. And Shelly didn't begin to open up and share, you know what? It's interesting you said that. I was 15 years old. And I was really down and I was really depressed. 
And I just needed the presence of God. And I remember bowing down in my room as a 15-year-old girl and calling out to God. And I heard God speak to me for the first time and tell me he loved me. And it forever changed and transformed and marked my life. And I don't know that you ever heard that story before or not. But it, but it, was, it was great. It was great just sharing these stories and just talking much about the Lord. And that's not all we talk about. I'm not talking about being fake where you go, yeah, praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about being fake and weird. It's natural. It just, it's, you just naturally talk and discuss the things of God. Is this all right? So talk with each other much about the Lord. So if he's first in your life, you're going to make God part of your conversation because he's first. So put him first in your finances, in your interests. Letter R. Still with me? Put God first in your relationships. If you want God first in your life, you have to choose your friends carefully. I always say it this way. You need to have close friends in the body of Christ. And you need to have cautious friends, those outside. Now, you still need to have relationship and friendship because otherwise, how are we going to win the world? Amen? It's what I love about Shelly playing tennis. She loves being in that world. It's an unchurched, very carnal at times world. And she's there and she's like, you know what? I am there to let the light of Jesus shine. And to be a light and to share his love and, and to be an ear to bend and, you know, do what I can to minister God's love to people. Amen? All right? But, but, but most of the time, her contact with him, it's on the tennis court. And the majority of the time, that's where it ends. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so you need to have close friends in the, with the body of Christ, cautious friends otherwise. Because Proverbs 27, 19 says, what a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. I'll never forget when I was about fifth or sixth grade, I had a friend of mine come over and, you know, I knew better. My dad had a very strict, you know, you don't drink, you don't smoke. And you don't dip or chew tobacco, period. He had just a no tobacco or alcohol stance. And I'm thankful for that. I didn't live by that. Didn't abide by his rules. Whenever he was gone, I would violate his rules. But I think of how much more I would have violated him or how much more, uh, you know, easier it would have been. He made it difficult to, to, to sneak around. But I had a friend come over one time and I thought, you know what? My dad's not his dad, so it doesn't matter if he dips, as long as I don't. And so my friend comes over with a big old dip. Just the pinch between his cheek and gum. And we're hanging out. My dad doesn't say anything about it. My dad, you know, while he's there, my dad is kind. And we, we're playing football. We're doing whatever boys do when you're in fifth and sixth grade, you know. My friend decides to go home. He lived down at the trailer park just right down the road from where we lived on Fruitland Farm Road. And when he left, my dad goes, come here, son. Yes, sir. Pull your lip down. Pull it again, hold it down. Copenhagen grains in between my teeth. And I'm thinking, how in the world did he know? And he shared with me, birds of a feather flock together. And he knew if I'm hanging around someone who's dipping snuff, the chances are, and he was right, 
he's rubbing off on me. And so from then on, I told my friends, get rid of it. No. Got me in trouble. See, what a man is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Why is that? Hmm? What does who my friends are have to do with God being first in my life? Because you become like the people you spend the most time with. Remember, you are the average of the five closest people in your life. Your marriage, your finances, the quality of your spiritual life. Take every, your health, you are the average in all areas of your life of the five closest people in your life. Some of you, you don't believe me. Take the five closest people in your life. Look at their weight, look at their health, look at their lifestyle, look at their finances. Do an average, divide by five. Watch. You're the average of the five closest people in your life. So if you spend time with people who take God lightly, then you'll tend to become a casual believer. But if you spend time with people who, who love God, right, and pursue Him, that will begin running off. It's contagious, and it begins to rub off on you, and it makes you become a stronger, more committed Christian. So whoever you spend time with, that is what you're going to be like. And parents, listen, that's why we need to know who our friends are. Every time we picked Josh up from school, Drew up from school, Christy up from school, we always asked. They would, see you, Josh, see you. Who is that? That's Blake. That's my buddy. Tell me about him. Oh, he's in the... Okay. And we get some... What are we doing? Because we know whoever you hang around, whoever your friends are, that's who you're going to become like. Amen? So we want to know, are they in trouble? Are they in ISS? Are they prone to fighting? Do they make good grades? Do they cuss? Are they respectful to their teachers? We want to know that. Why? Because you become like those you hang around. Amen? Listen, here's some questions I ask my kids. I posted this. If you're not following us on Twitter or Facebook, you need to make sure you do that. It's in the bulletin how you can do that, the handout we give. But here's something I posted the other day, and this is something I consistently ask myself and my kids. Who am I around? What are they doing to me? What have they got me reading? What have they got me saying? Where do they have me going? What do they have me thinking about? And most important, what do they have me becoming? And then I ask the big question. Is that okay? Proverbs 12, 26 says, A righteous man is careful about his friendships. So the truth is, if you really want God first in your life, there are some relationships that are dead wrong for you. Listen, guys, girls, I've seen it time and time and again. Okay, We don't believe in missionary dating. And we see girls who are plugged into church, and they meet a guy, and he's, he's charming, and they think, well, if I date him, I'll, I'll get him saved, and I'll get him into church. And what happens more often than not is you end up in the bar, he doesn't end up in the church. And many times, you end up in the bar, you end up losing your virginity, or getting pregnant, and it's just not good. Talk to me, somebody. And listen, you got to even be careful in church, because sometimes guys come to church because they want a church girl. 
They don't want used goods. So they go to church and they scope things out. Come on, ladies, you got to be wiser than that. And see, here's the first thing right off the bat. Here's what to do. Do you tithe? Just ask him if he tithes. It'll scare him right off. Is this okay? All right. So you got to be wise in your relationships. Letter S. You learning something? Put God first in your schedule. You got to put him first in your time. Ephesians 5 verse 16 and 17 says, Make the most of your time. Grasp firmly what you know to be the will of God. So how do you put God first in your schedule? You ask him to help you use your time wisely. Okay? See, selection is the name of the game. You get up in the morning, you got 17 things on your to-do list, you realize you only have time for five. And so you ask God, God, what is the most important thing that I do today? And you build in, uh, you build in a buffer, you build in some uh, margin that will allow people to drop by, that will allow uh, uh, you know, Holy Ghost interruptions. Now, not all of them are Holy Ghost interruptions. Some of them are just interruptions to get you off track. But you, you, you stay sensitive to that so that you could, you're in control of your time so you can choose which is an interruption and, and you need to delegate it to someone else or, hey, this is a God assignment. This is a God appointment. Are you with me? See, if you find yourself having more things to do than you have time to do, it means you're doing some things that aren't God's will. See, I never get people, oh, I'm so frazzled. I gotta take the kids here. Why? No, you don't. You don't have to do any of that. Your kids don't have to play 50 sports. Do you know that? Don't, don't, don't get this. Oh, I said, you get no mercy from me for being stupid. None. None. You created this. So don't come wearing your I'm busy like a badge. Nowhere does God say, hey, you were busy. Well done. No, only when you're busy about your father's business. That's why we do this, the, the, the six F's. Faith, family. Faith, fitness, family, friends, finances, and fun. If it's outside of that, I don't have time. Those are the priorities of my life. And you build your schedule around those big blocks, uh, rocks in your life. And you don't allow it. And so as something new comes, you either got to let something go or not take that thing on. You've got to build margin in your life. You can't allow activities to consume every spare time in your life. Talk to me, somebody. You need to have time for God. You need to have time for exercise. You need to have time for your family, time for your friends, manage your money, and have fun. Go play golf. Go play tennis. Do something. We get after, out, out. We get after our staff all the time. Don't you be up here. It's one of the reasons we close the office on Friday. Get out of here. Go play golf. Go have fun. This is stressful enough. Go throw some disc golfs. Go hit a tennis ball. Go hit a golf ball. Go shoot up some rounds. Do something, get out of here, have some fun, bring some balance in your life. Otherwise, you're going to let people drive you crazy. Don't shut me down because I'm preaching good. See, some of you think you need to sit down and go, you need to ask your kids, which one do you want to do? Which one? 
Do you want to do that? No, 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 no. Because I'm not going to here and running here. And you think, listen, you think, well, that just gives them this overbalanced experience. No, it doesn't. It makes them just as tired as you. And really, at the end of the day, you know what they need? They don't need 50 million activities. You know what they need? Time with you. So cut it down to one sport and fill in the rest of the time hanging out with them. Shooting some basketball. Not playing basketball because they got to be in this league. Just play basketball with them. Throw the football. Not because they got to be in some league. Go out in the backyard and you throw the football with them. Just spend time with them. Just talk to them. Is this okay? See, when you start feeling frustrated and hassled and frazzled, it's because you're trying to do more than God wants you to do. And you need to make a daily appointment with God. Some people do it early in the morning. Some people do it at lunch. By the way, we're Monday through Thursday. We're opening up the office, uh, the sanctuary, 1130 to 1230. If you're able to leave and you want to come up and spend some time with God and pray, uh, we, opened, we started doing that last week. So 1130 to 1230, the sanctuary is open. Praise and worship's going. And uh, feel free to come in and seek the Lord if you would like. Uh, whatever works with your schedule. I just want you to know that's available. But just, just set some time aside for God where you, uh, you, you check in with God, where you say, God, let's review my life. Let's review my schedule, my goals, my priorities. Mark one thirty five. even Jesus did this. It says very, very early in the morning, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay? So you, you got to schedule some time in with the Lord. And then the last one, letter T. Put God first in your finances, in your interests, in your relationships, in your schedule. And lastly, number T, in your troubles. When you face unexpected problems and pressures, when you have a crisis, who do you turn to? Now, you would think people say, of course I turn to God. But you know what's amazing? Many times we've discovered that when people have a crisis, you know, many times they'll leave church. Number one, they get overwhelmed. And number two, they don't want to be a burden to anyone else. And I think that's so sad that they feel that way. Go, number one, you're never going to wear God out. You need to run to him, and then you need to run to the body of Christ. Listen, newsflash, Shelly and I are not mind readers. We do our best to seek the Lord, but we are not mind readers. If you do not keep us informed in what's going on in your life, we don't know. But because we don't know, it's not because we don't care. It's because you didn't tell us. you got to remember, there's 600 of you. There's only two of us. So you got to tell someone, tell the staff, tell other people what you're going through so we know, so we can pray with you, so we can encourage you. Is this all right? Okay. And the sad thing is, is many times prayer becomes the last resort when it should be the first option. Hmm? James 5.13 says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Now notice it says if they're in trouble, who prays? Now listen, I am for prayer, prayer lines. I'm for calling a prayer partner. But you know what? Sometimes I think, it goes back to what you were teaching on, Junior. Sometimes I think we get lazy in our faith. Because when we have a problem, instead of getting a, grabbing the horns of the altar and getting a hold of God, we call the 700 Club. We call the prayer line. And we, we, we basically hire out our prayer to everyone else. And you know what? No one really cares what you're going through at the same level that you do. They're not. It's not personal to them. It's personal to you. It's not their kid. It's your kid. 
Get a hold of God. Grab a hold of the horns of the altar. Refuse to let go until you get an answer. Sometimes I think we need to be like Pastor Cho. Pastor of a million people in Seoul, Korea. And before you ever set up a counseling appointment, you have to go fast and pray for a week. And if God doesn't give you an answer, then he'll meet with you. Guess what? He has yet to have a counseling appointment. I like that. Now listen, I'm not saying we're available. You can come talk to us. But you know what? Many times we put people in the place of God. Even godly people. If Listen. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them pray. You pray. You call out on the name of the Lord. Hmm? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in your day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Amen? So that brings up an interesting point. How do you know when God is first in your life? You want to know? When you stop worrying. When you stop worrying. See, when you start to worry, what that means is you're playing God. You're assuming the responsibility he never intended for you to have. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. See, when God is not first in these five areas of my life, I worry about finances. I worry about my relationships. I worry about my schedule. I worry about my troubles. But when God is first place in those areas of my life, then there's peace. It's Matthew 6.33, which we quoted earlier. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put him first in every area of your life. And all these other things shall be added unto you. That's how you put God first. That is the foundation of building a strong walk with God. He's first in your finances, your interests, your relationships, your schedule, and your troubles. So do a checklist. Take inventory of your life. And let's, let's make sure he's number one. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Hope you learned something today. I want to pray for you. I never want to assume. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure heaven would be your home. You hope so. You wish so. But you don't know without a shadow of a doubt.